Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We must be people of principle who understand what truth is and we stand for truth despite how the culture will change. We do not change truth to keep up with the culture. We keep up with the truth to change the culture. Do you understand the difference? And that's why this old gate is a very important reminder to us. It reminds us of truth. We must continue to live by, stand for, and share with others absolute biblical truth in a time when truth is becoming increasingly subjective and relative. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. In today's modern society, it seems like trends are changing faster than we can keep up with them. Some are harmless. But Pastor Gary warns us that the direction society naturally follows is away from God. Popular opinion is that truth is relative and that we've progressed beyond old-fashioned rules. In today's message, we learn that real truth, God's truth, may be old, but that's because it's time-tested and reliable. Stand up for truth, even when the rest of the world is changing standards. You may not be popular, but you'll be established. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 3 for part one of today's message titled, Examining Our Gates, Truth and Trials. Nehemiah chapter 3. Hopefully you're there by now as we start our study here together today. Nehemiah chapter 3. We're continuing in our study through the book of Nehemiah. And we come here to chapter 3 and the rebuilding of the city walls and the gates of Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and besieged Jerusalem, he ransacked it, destroyed it in 586 B.C. And it would lay in ruins for about 150 years. Until a Jew by the name of Nehemiah, who was living in Persia at the time, serving as cupbearer to the king of Persia, would get a burden for his own people and for his own homeland, the land of his forefathers. And he would ask permission of his boss, King Artaxerxes of Persia, if he could travel the 1,000 miles to begin overseeing the rebuilding project of the city of Jerusalem. His request is granted. Nehemiah travels then to Jerusalem where he oversees this rebuilding of the city walls and gates. There were, in fact, ten different gates around the city of Jerusalem. They are all mentioned here by name in chapter 3. Ancient gates were much more than just points of entry and exit to and from a city. They were important for defense. They were important because business was transacted there. 
They were important because merchants set up shop there, elders held court there, criminals were executed there, and war strategies were planned there. And because the gates were a place of public gathering, the condition of the gates affected everyday life. And in chapter 3 here, we're given the names of the gates and the order in which they are repaired. Each gate was named, each gate served a purpose, and each purpose corresponds to a modern parallel that is important for all of us individually to hear and corporately as a church. We looked at the first two gates. The first gate mentioned in chapter 3 is the Sheep Gate, the northeast corner of the city. It was the gate through which all the lambs were brought to the temple for sacrifice, and only through that gate. And then going counterclockwise, we also looked at the Fish Gate. The Fish Gate was the place where all the fishermen would bring fish to be sold at the market. And both of these gates have symbolism and modern parallel to us because the Sheep Gate is a reminder to us of Jesus He is, in fact, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And so we must continue to present Jesus as the only way to be saved. We also mentioned how the fish gate, Jesus called fishermen, many of them, to follow him. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And so the fish gate is a reminder to us of evangelism that we must continue to cast the net so that others might come to faith in Jesus. Today we're going to look at two more as we go counterclockwise around the city. We're going to look, first of all, at the old gate. Now, the old gate is called here in verse 6 the Jeshana gate. And actually, in Hebrew, it's pronounced with a Y and spelled with a Y. It's Yeshana. Yeshana in Hebrew means old. So it is referred to as the old gate, but it's named the Yeshana gate here in verse 6. I'm going to read verse 6 through verse 8. So follow along as I read here. Nehemiah 3, verse 6. The Yeshana gate was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Pasiah, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhai, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So here we are at the old gate, the old gate. You know, sometimes things that are old are thought to be worthless. Once they reach a certain age, people can kind of think of them as expendable, need to be discarded. I'm not talking about people, all right? I'm talking about things. You know, look around your own house. There's probably a point if you lived in your house long enough that you looked at your kitchen appliances, for example, and said, you know, these are old. We need to update. We need to replace these. Maybe you looked at the carpet in your house. You're like, this is old. We need to replace this. That We need to get rid of this. Uh, maybe some of you are driving a car that's kind of older. You know, it's not really old as in antique, but it's not new either. And now it's just in that zone where it's nickel and diamond you to death, it would probably be cheaper for you to buy a new car and make some payments than to keep putting money into this old vehicle. Some things just need to be replaced or thrown out. Some of your food in your refrigerator, take a look, open up the Tupperware. Some of it is old and it just needs to be thrown out. It's growing things. It's like a little Petri dish. Get rid of it. So old in one sense to us means things that are, you know, no longer important, that we just need to discard it, we need to replace it, we need to get rid of it. But old, on the other hand, can also mean something that is durable and reliable and valuable. 
that it has survived a long period of time. And as a result of its survival, it now becomes something rather valuable. You know, a coin, for example. Uh, some of you collect coins, and some of the old coins that you have are worth more now than they were the day they were minted. They've actually increased in value the older they've gotten. Or a classic piece of antique furniture is worth much more than it was originally when it was crafted. An ancient manuscript becomes very valuable. An artifact becomes very valuable. Some archaeological discovery can become a priceless treasure, even though it's old. Speaking of archaeology and old, I read a quote by Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie is well known for her crime novels, her detective novels. Uh, a few of them were made into movies as well. Most published author outside of the Bible, by the way. Little bit of information. Free stuff you get here at Cornerstone, I'm telling you. But anyway, many people don't know that she married a famous archaeologist whose name was Max Malawan. And Agatha Christie once said, quote, An archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. <laughs> And by the way, Agatha Christie was 15 years his senior, too, so she knew what she was talking about. So it depends on what you're referring to as to whether or not old is something discardable, it's not worth anything, it just needs to be thrown away, or whether old in the sense of valuable, reliable, durable. The old gate falls in the latter category. The old gate is a gate of honor. Now, it was originally, historically, they believe, built by those who occupied the city even before the Israelites. The Israelites were not the ones who built Jerusalem. They captured Jerusalem from the Jebusites, David did. He led the siege of Jerusalem, 2 Samuel chapter 5. He took it from the Jebusites, and it is believed that the old gate is probably the oldest of the gates. And thus, it's given that name, and that, in fact, even the Jebusites may have built it, not the Israelites. That's the historical context. But practically speaking, the purpose of the old gate in Nehemiah's day was that that's the place where the elders of the city would gather. And the elders of the city would sit at the old gate. These are older, wiser men. The elders who were hand-selected for their leadership and their wisdom and their relationship with God. And they would sit at the old gate and they would dispense wisdom, and they would settle matters of dispute and issue judgments. So for our purpose of study, the old gate is a picture for us of the old way of truth. The old way of truth. This is that place where older, wiser men would dispense old, sage advice. Because if it's true, it isn't new. And if it's new, it isn't true. Truth is endurable. It is valuable. It is reliable. And this is what the gate represents for us. It represents truth. In fact, the Bible refers to truth as something that is old. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, the prophet Jeremiah said, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, 
Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah says, life is sometimes, and you can identify with this, it's like being at a crossroads. You're going to come to a place in your life where you don't know whether to turn left or to turn right. You're kind of at this crossroads. And so we need to seek the wisdom of God and the truth of God. And Jeremiah says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the reliable truth. Ask for the wisdom of God. And walk in that good way, and then you will find rest for your souls. Truth is an important thing for all of us to understand. And there are four things quickly that I want to just share with you. First of all, truth is enduring. Real, genuine truth is enduring. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Forever. Truth is unchanging. Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Number three, truth is liberating. In John 8, 31 to 32, it says, To the Jews who had believed in Jesus, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. It's liberating. It's liberating to come into a relationship with Jesus. It is life-changing. And then fourthly, truth is defined by God. We don't get to decide what is right, what is wrong, friends. This is something God has determined. And it tells us in Isaiah 45, 19, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Truth does not become out of date or out of touch or antiquated. It is enduring, it is unchanging, and it is reliable for all people For all time, the truth is being assaulted in our day. It is. Truth is being assaulted in our day. Our day is not much different than the days of Isaiah the prophet. Because Isaiah prophesied against the Israelites and he said, listen, the Assyrians are going to come against you. Why? Because you've discarded truth. And the nation will crumble because of a lack of respect and regard for the truth of God. That God would have mercy on them and would rebuild the people of Israel. But listen to the prophecy of Isaiah that is eerily similar to a description of our own cultural condition today. Isaiah 59, 14 and 15. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the street. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Listen to that. He says, truth is stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And if you live a life that shuns evil, people will prey on you. They will attack you. They will think that you're weird and you're out of date. You're antiquated because you follow a truth that is never changing. Truth has stumbled in our streets as well. Honesty cannot enter in. Truth is nowhere to be found. There is a loud silence of the absence of truth in our day. It's haunting. And here's some sad statistics. A majority of Americans, according to two national surveys conducted by the Barna Research Group, a majority of Americans no longer believe in absolute moral truth. According to these two national surveys, 
adults in one survey, teenagers in the second survey, they were asked if they believe that there are moral absolutes that are unchanging or whether moral truth is relative to the circumstance. So that's the question posed. Do you think that there are certain things that are always right and always wrong? Or do you think that those things will change depending on your circumstance? Three to one in the adult range. The adults, three to one, 64% versus 22% of adults said that truth is always relative to the person and their situation. And even more lopsided was the response of the teenagers. 83% of teenagers said moral truth depends on the circumstances and only 6% said moral truth is absolute. We got our work cut out for us, friends. We got our work cut out for us. Because we're living in a day now where a majority of Americans, adults and teenagers, say that there's no such thing as really right and wrong, that it's just what you make it. The rules are what you determine. What is right and wrong is what you decide. You get to live your life according to your own standard. And we've abandoned a standard of absolute moral truth in our culture. People today, they'll believe in absolute truth when it comes to math, just not when it comes to morality. When you ask somebody, is 2 plus 2, 4, you'll get an agreement every time. They will believe in the absolute truth of math. They will believe in the law of gravity. They will believe in the law of aerodynamics, but you begin to ask them about the law of morality, they'll look at you like you have three eyes. Like, what are you talking about? There's no set standard of rules. There's no one determination of right and wrong. People want to make up their own rules these days, and they want to define their own truth. And here's why I am alarmed at the political term progressive. Because, like, my antenna go up, and I'm like, progressive what are you progressing toward and what are you progressing away from what does that mean now i like progress like the next person all right i love progress okay i like my cell phone i like my cell phone maybe too much i like my cell phone i like the convenience of it i like the progress of technology i like advancement in medicine that kind of progress that's wonderful that benefits people around the world I like all kinds of progress. I like, not that I drive new cars, but I like new cars and Bluetooth technology. I like that kind of thing. It's wonderful. I like progress. Here's something simple. I like the progress of being able to change the channel on my television without getting up from the couch. <laughs> I'm serious because I can remember the day. How many of you remember the day when you had to get up from your chair to actually change the channel on the television? Now, you know, if you don't appreciate it, it's because you're not old, all right? <laughs> And I mean old in the sense of durable, reliable, valuable. <laughs> but I can seriously remember. And there was only four channels anyway. <laughs> so you couldn't get up very many times. But it's incredible. You know, listen, I love technology and I love advancement and progress and all these kind of things, okay? But I can tell you, listen to me on this, progressive is a buzzword for social progressiveness. It's the idea that we must alter our standards and values to adapt to an ever-changing moral landscape. That's what it means. That's what it means. We must alter our morals and our standards to adapt to an ever-changing moral landscape. But by the way, it's an ever-changing moral landscape. You continue to do that, you will have neither morals and standards nor a culture. You'll have neither.
You keep abandoning truth, it will be the demise of a culture. Ask an ancient Roman from the Roman Empire. Oops, you can't. You study Roman history, part of the collapse of the Roman Empire had to do with the total disregard of moral absolute truth. It was just crazy debauchery and all kinds of stuff that was happening. It led in part to the demise of the Roman Empire. Look at what happened to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ask somebody from that day. Oops, you can't. Okay? So as the culture trends, listen, we must, as the church, continue to stand for truth, to declare truth, to live truth in a very relative and subjective way world. Let me bring this to home, and this might be a little, you know, sensitive, but our Virginia Attorney General, when he was in the Virginia Senate, voted in favor of a constitutional amendment to the Commonwealth of Virginia defining marriage between a man and a woman. And then when he became Attorney General, he led the charge to undo that. Why does somebody do that? Why does somebody go from a person of principle to a cultural chameleon? I'll tell you why. Because they decide the shifting winds decide to shift my principles. We must not be like that. We must be people of principle who understand what truth is and we stand for truth despite how the culture will change. We do not change truth to keep up with the culture. We keep up with the truth to change the culture. You understand the difference? And that's why this old gate is a very important reminder to us. It reminds us of truth. We must continue to live by, stand for, and share with others absolute biblical truth in a time when truth is becoming increasingly subjective and relative. I know that's a mouthful, but listen, I'm going to read it again. We must continue to live by, stand for, and share with others absolute biblical truth in a time when truth is becoming increasingly subjective and relative. It's quiet in here. Everybody all right? This is important, friends. Our culture is going to continue to change. We have to be the influence for our culture. The church has to be a place of truth. It starts with us. We have to live it. We have to stand for it. We have to share it with others. Because we believe that it is unchanging, enduring, liberating, and it is defined by God. We come next to the valley gate. As you go counterclockwise around the city, the last gate we'll look at for this morning is the valley gate. It's found in chapter 3, verse 13. This is what it says. Underline it in your Bibles. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. Well, that's an interesting gate. <laughs> next, we'll talk about the dung gate. We'll... We'll get to the bottom of it. Um, <laughs> lighten up. Come on. We need to laugh a little bit. All right. Anyway, we're here at the Valley Gate. It's verse 13. And as we go counterclockwise around the city, it's the fourth gate on the list. It is the Valley Gate. And it is the only gate on the southwest side of Jerusalem. And as its name suggests, it opens up to a valley. There are three main valleys that encompass the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on a cluster of mountains. It is built on one particular peak, Mount Moriah, but it has Mount Zion and Mount of Olives on the other sides of it, and so it forms three natural valleys. The Kidron Valley goes along the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem, the Tyropian Valley on the western side of the city of Jerusalem, and then further west and swings all the way down to the southern side is the Valley of Hinnom. All three of these 
valleys there outline the city of Jerusalem. Now, what is very fascinating, and many of you might already know this, is that the imprint of these valleys makes the same shape as the Hebrew letter Shin. The Hebrew letter Shin by itself is often used as a designation for the name of God because Shin is the first letter in the word Shaddai, meaning Almighty. It is the first letter in the word Shalom, peace. It is the first letter in the word Shekinah, Shekinah, the glory of God. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection.